Chapter Eleven of Arnig. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. Arnig by Harriet E. Wilson. Chapter Eleven. Marriage Again. Crucified the hopes that cheered me, all that to the earth endeared me, love of wealth and fame and power, love, all have been crucified. C. E. Darkness before day, Jane left, but Jack was now to come again. After Mary's death, he visited home, leaving a wife behind, an orphan whose home was with a relative, gentle, loving, the true mate of kind, generous Jack. His mother was a stranger to her, of course, and had a perfect right to interrogate. Is she good-looking, Jack? Asked his mother. Looks well to me, was the laconic reply. Was her father rich? Not worth a copper, as I know of. I never asked him. Answered Jack. Hadn't she any property? What did you marry her for? Asked his mother. Oh, she's worth a million dollars, mother, though not a cent of it is in money. Jack, what do you want to bring such a poor being into the family for? You'd better stay here at home and let your wife go. Why couldn't you try to do better and not disgrace your parents? Don't judge till you see her. Was Jack's reply, and immediately changed the subject. It was no recommendation to his mother, and she did not feel prepared to welcome her cordially. Now he was to come with his wife, he was indignant at his mother's advice to desert her. It rankled bitterly in his soul. The bare suggestion. He had more to bring. He now came with the child also. He decided to leave the West, but not his family. Upon their arrival, Mrs. B extended a cold welcome to her new daughter, eyeing her dress with closest scrutiny. Poverty was to her a disgrace, and she could not associate with any thus dishonored. This coldness was felt by Jack's worthy wife, who only strove the harder to recommend herself by her obliging, winning ways. Mrs. B could never let Jack be with her alone without complaining of this or that deficiency in his wife. He cared not so long as the complaints were piercing his own ears. He would not have Jenny disquieted. He passed his time in seeking employment. A letter came from his brother Louis, then at the South, soliciting his services. Leaving his wife, he repaired thither. Mrs. B felt that great restraint was removed, that Jenny was more in her own power. She wished to make her feel her inferiority. To relieve Jack of his burden, if he would not do it himself, she watched her incessantly to catch at some act of Jenny's which might be construed in conjugal unfaithfulness. Near by were a family of cousins, one a young man of Jack's age, who, from love to his cousin, proffered all needful courtesy to his stranger relative. Soon news reached Jack that Jenny was deserting her covenant vows and had formed an illegal intimacy with his cousin. Meantime, Jenny was told by her mother-in-law that Jack did not marry her untrammelled. He had another love whom he would be glad, even now if he could, to marry. It was very doubtful if he ever came for her. Jenny would feel pained by her unwelcome gossip, and glancing at her child, she decided, however true it might be, she had a pledge which would enchain him yet. Ere long, the mother's inveterate hate crept out into some neighbor's enclosure. And caught up hastily, they passed the secret round till it became none, and Louis was sent for, the brother by whom Jack was employed. The neighbors saw her fade in health and spirits. 
they found letters never reached their destination when sent by either. Lewis arrived with the joyful news that he had come to take Jenny home with him. What a relief to her to be freed from the gnawing taunts of her adversary. Jenny retired to prepare for the journey, and Mrs. B. and Henry had a long interview. Next morning he informed Jenny that new clothes would be necessary, in order to make her presentable to Baltimore society, and he should return without her, and she must stay till she was suitably attired. Disheartened, she rushed to her room, and after relief from weeping, wrote to Jack to come, to have pity on her, and take her to him. No answer came. Mrs. Smith, a neighbor, watchful and friendly, suggested that she write away from home, and employ someone to carry it to the office, who would elude Mrs. B., who they very well knew, had intercepted Jenny's letter, and influenced Lewis to leave her behind. She accepted the offer, and Fredo succeeded in managing the affair, so that Jack soon came to the rescue, angry, wounded, and forever after alienated from his early home and his mother. Many times would Fredo steal up into Jenny's room, when she knew she was tortured by her mistress's malignity, and tell some of her own encounters with her, and tell her she might be sure it wouldn't kill her, for she should have died long before at the same treatment. Susan and her child succeeded Jenny as visitors. Fredo had merged into womanhood, and retaining what she had learned, in spite of the few privileges enjoyed formerly, was striving to enrich her mind. Her school-books were her constant companions, and every leisure moment was applied to them. Susan was delighted to witness her progress, and some little book from her was a reward sufficient for any task imposed, however difficult. She had her book always fastened open near her, where she could glance from toil to soul refreshment. The approaching spring would close the term of years which Mrs. B. claimed as the period of her servitude. Often as she passed the waymarks of former years, did she pause to ponder on her situation, and wonder if she could succeed in providing for her own wants. Her health was delicate, yet she resolved to try. Soon she counted the time by days which should release her. Mrs. B. felt that she could not well spare one, who could so well adapt herself to all departments—man, boy, housekeeper, domestic, etc. She begged Mrs. Smith to talk with her to show her how ungrateful it would appear to leave a home of such comfort, how wicked it was to be ungrateful. But Fredo replied that she had had enough of such comforts, she wanted some new ones, and as it was so wicked to be ungrateful, she would go from temptation, and Abby said we mustn't put ourselves in the way of temptation. Poor little Fido, she shed more tears over him than over all beside. The morning for departure dawned, Fredo engaged to work for a family a mile distant. Mrs. Belmont dismissed her with the assurance that she would soon wish herself back again, and a present of a silver half-dollar. Her wardrobe consisted of one decent dress, without any superfluous accompaniments. A Bible from Susan she felt was her greatest treasure. Now was she alone in the world. The past year had been one of suffering, resulting from a fall, which had left her lame. The first summer passed pleasantly, and the wages earned were expended in garments necessary for health and cleanliness. Though feeble, she was well satisfied with her progress. Shut up in her room, after her toil was finished, she studied what poor samples of apparel she had, and for the first time prepared her own garments. Mrs. Moore, who employed her, was a kind friend to her, 
and attempted to heal her wounded spirit by sympathy and advice, burying the past in the prospects of the future. But her failing health was a cloud no kindly human hand could dissipate. A little light work was all she could accomplish. A clergyman, whose family was small, sought her, and she was removed there. Her engagement with Mrs. Moore finished in the fall. Fredo was anxious to keep up her reputation for efficiency, and often pressed far beyond prudence. In the winter she entirely gave up work, and confessed herself thoroughly sick. Mrs. Hale, soon overcome by additional cares, was taken sick also, and now it became necessary to adopt some measures for Fredo's comfort, as well as to relieve Mrs. Hale. Such dark forebodings as visited her as she lay, solitary and sad, no moans or sighs could relieve. The family physician pronounced her case one of doubtful issue. Fredo hoped it was final. She could not feel relentings that her former home was abandoned, and yet, should she be in need of succor, could she obtain it from one who would now so grudgingly bestow it? The family were applied to, and it was decided to take her there. She was removed to a room, built out from the main building, used formerly as a workshop, where cold and rain found unobstructed access, and here she fought with bitter reminiscences and future prospects, till she became reckless of her faith and hopes and person, and half wished to end what nature seemed so tardily to take. Aunt Abby made her frequent visits, and at last had her removed to her own apartment, where she might supply her wants, and minister to her once more in heavenly things. Then came the family consultation. "'What is to be done with her?' asked Mrs. B., after she has moved there with Nab. "'Send for the doctor, your brother,' Mr. B. replied. "'When?' "'Tonight.' "'Tonight, and for her? Wait till morning,' she continued. "'She has waited too long now. I think something should be done soon.' "'I doubt if she is much sick,' sharply interrupted Mrs. B. "'Well, we'll see what our brother thinks.' His coming was longed for by Fredo, who had known him well during her long sojourn in the family, and his praise of her nice butter and cheese, from which his table was supplied, she knew he felt as well as spoke. "'You're sick, very sick,' he said quickly, after a moment's pause. "'Take good care of her, Abby, or she'll never get well. All broken down.' "'Yes, it was at Mrs. Moore's,' said Mrs. B. All this was done. She did but little the latter part of the time she was here." It was commenced longer ago than last summer. Take good care of her. She may never get well, remarked the doctor. We shan't pay you for doctoring her. You may look to the town for that, sir, said Mrs. B., and abruptly left the room. Oh, dear, oh, dear, exclaimed Fredo, and buried her face in the pillow. A few kind words of consolation, and she was once more alone in the darkness which enveloped her previous days. Yet she felt sure they owed her a shelter and attention, when disabled, and she resolved to feel patient, and remain till she could help herself. Mrs. B. would not attend her, nor permit her domestic to stay with her at all. Aunt Abby was her sole comforter. Aunt Abby's nursing had the desired effect, and she slowly improved. As soon as she was able to be moved, the kind Mrs. Moore took her to her home again, and completed what Aunt Abby had so well commenced. Not that she was well, or ever would be, but she had recovered so far as rendered it hopeful she might provide for her own wants. The clergyman, at whose house she was taken sick, was now seeking someone to watch his sick children, 
and as soon as he heard of her recovery, again asked for her services. What seemed so light and easy to others was too much for Fredo, and it became necessary to ask once more where the sick should find an asylum. All felt that the place where her declining health began should be the place of relief, so they applied once more for a shelter. "'No!' exclaimed the indignant Mrs. B. "'She shall never come under this roof again. Never, never!' she repeated, as if each repetition were a bolt to prevent admission. One only resource. The public must pay the expense. So she was removed to the home of two maidens, old, who had principle enough to be willing to earn the money a charitable public disperses. Three years of weary sickness wasted her, without extinguishing a life apparently so feeble. Two years had these maidens watched and cared for her, and they began to weary, and finally to request the authorities to remove her. Mrs. Hoggs was a lover of gold and silver, and she asked the favor of filling her coffers by caring for the sick. The removal caused severe sickness. By being bolstered in the bed, after a time she could use her hands, and often would ask for sewing to beguile the tedium. She had become very expert with her needle the first year of her release from Mrs. B., and she had forgotten none of her skill. Mrs. H. praised her, and as she improved in health, was anxious to employ her. She told her she could in this way replace her clothes, and as her board would be paid for, she would thus gain something. Many times her hands wrought when her body was in pain, but the hope that she might yet help herself impelled her on. Thus she reckoned her store of means by a few dollars, and was hoping soon to come in possession, when she was startled by the announcement that Mrs. Hoggs had reported her to the physician and town officers as an impostor, that she was, in truth, able to get up and go to work. This brought on a severe sickness of two weeks, when Mrs. Moore again sought her, and took her to her home. She had formerly had wealth at her command, but misfortune had deprived her of it, and unlocked her heart to sympathies and favors she had never known while it lasted. Her husband, defrauded of his last means by a branch of the Belmont family, had supported them by manual labor gone to the west, and left his wife and four young children. But she felt humanity required her to give shelter to one she knew to be worthy of a hospitable reception. Mrs. Moore's physician was called, and pronounced her a very sick girl, and encouraged Mrs. M. to keep her and care for her, and he would see that the authorities were informed of Fredo's helplessness, and pledged assistance. Here she remained till sufficiently restored to sew again, then came the old resolution to take care of herself, to cast off the unpleasant charities of the public. She learned that in some towns in Massachusetts, girls make straw bonnets, that it was easy and profitable. But how should she, black, feeble, and poor, find any one to teach her? But God prepares the way when human agencies see no path. Here was found a plain, poor, simple woman who could see merit beneath a dark skin, and when the invalid mulatto told her sorrows, she opened her door and her heart, and took the stranger in. Expert with the needle, Fredo soon equaled her instructress, and she saw also to teach her the value of useful books, and while one read aloud to the other of deeds historic and names renowned, Fredo experienced a new impulse. She felt herself capable of elevation. She felt that this book information supplied an undefined dissatisfaction she had long felt, but could not express. 
Every leisure moment was carefully applied to self-improvement, and a devout and Christian exterior invited confidence from the villagers. Thus she passed months of quiet, growing in the confidence of her neighbors and new-found friends. End of chapter 11